Welcome back to another week at Sluts and Scholars. I'm Simone. And I'm Nicoletta. And this week we have Rachel Kramer Bustle. She is a New Jersey-based author, presenter, editor, blogger, and event organizer. She's got a bachelor's degree in political science and women's studies from University of California, Berkeley. And she now writes widely about sex, dating, books, pop culture, feminism, body image, and she's been featured in numerous publications from the New York Times to Oprah Magazine. She's written and edited countless anthologies, including The Big Book of Orgasms, Come Again, Sex Toy Erotica, and the Best Women's Erotica of the Year series. And she's a listener of Sluts and Scholars. Yes! <laughs> Rachel, we, 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 you found us and we're so happy to have found you. It's very exciting. I am excited too. Um, I I love podcasts and I just love like the tone of yours. You know, I feel like there's so many people who want to talk about sex, but don't, you know, don't know where to go for that. You know, Mm. those like interesting, like conversations you'd have with your friends. But I think there's a lot of people who don't have friends who can, they can have those frank conversations with. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. And we are glad to know you now as well. So I'm so curious. How did you get into erotica and writing erotica? Like when was the first story? It's funny because if you had asked me, you know, in high school or even college, would I go on to write erotica? That would have seemed really absurd to me because I didn't write any fiction. I've always written uh, in high school. I wrote letters to the editor and stuff, but I never wrote fiction. And I did start reading erotica in college. Um, I went to the University of California, Berkeley, and, you know, I would go to these little, not so little, these indie bookstores. And I found these best American erotica series and this virgin territory, which was this book of like true lesbian sex stories. And I was reading them all. And then a few years later, I was in law school and that wasn't really working out. Right. You were NYU, reading... not any old law school. Yeah, <laughs> One yeah, of the best law schools in the country. I don't really, you know, yes, but I didn't finish. But anyway, so I was there. But in the meantime, in my free time, I was exploring sex and going to sex parties and still reading a lot of erotica. And I saw a call from that same woman, Shar Rednauer, for this book called Starfucker. And she was collecting stories about celebrities, fictional erotic stories. She had a zine with the same name. And at the time, 1998-99, the Monica Lewinsky story was breaking. And I was really obsessed with Monica. Like, I followed every news story. Um, I had this crush on her. And so when I I would just like to say our co-host one time dressed as Monica Lewinsky. (laughs) I love Monica Lewinsky, And it was amazing. I love Monica. I'll podcast on that because I (laughs) went see her speak uh in April but anyway so back then I was following her and just really curious about her and when I saw that call for Starfucker I I said can I write about Monica and uh, Char said yes so I wrote this story and looking back on it it's very uh I, I probably wouldn't write it the same way today because it's called Monica and me. And the character is basically me. I mean, she has my name. She wears my clothes. Um, it's not true. Like, but, um, you know, they, the Sadly. <laughs> fictional Rachel and Monica have a sexual encounter. Um, and I really loved writing that story. It, it came easily to me. 
Um, and it got published in that book, Starfucker, and then it got published in Beth Lesbian Erotica 2001. And I will never forget how exciting it was to hold this book in my hands with my story and my name. And I cried. Even now, it's like, it's really emotional. I, I, mm. I don't want to ever forget that feeling because it was so exciting. And so then I wrote some more stories based on, you know, fantasies I had or you know, adventures I'd had. And those got published. I'm mean, not every single one, but a few more got published. And then a couple of years later, I got asked to co-edit an anthology with someone. Um, and then pretty much since then, I think that one came out in 2004. I've been editing my own anthologies and writing more stories. And I've edited over 60 anthologies, which seems really crazy when I say it out 60 loud. 60 anthologies? sort of happened. Like I didn't plan it out like that. It just, you know, it was wow. one, it was two, and then it was more. And yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious when you started writing erotica and you wrote this Starfucker story with you and Monica, did you already, I don't know how you identify sexually, but did you identify as queer or bi or lesbian at that point? Or was this restricted more to your just, just, fantasy. just fantasies? No, I, I'm pretty sure at that time I already identified as bisexual, which is still how I identify. Um, and I, you know, it's really interesting to me because I don't really remember the process of writing it exactly, but I don't think it was that challenging for me. Like it, it was the story idea formed in my head. It was about this woman who goes to hear Monica speak and I think she's giving a book signing and then they are staying at the same hotel. And um, I, I think it was easy in part because it was based on an actual fantasy I had and someone I had already, you know, studied and read about. So I was just giving a fictional spin on something that I, you know, had would would have maybe wanted to happen. Well, it's interesting um, you said you did a lot of nonfiction writing, like letters to the editor. And I think what seems cool about writing erotica or any kind of stuff like that is that people don't know if it's oh, yeah. happened or not. So you could say it's fiction, but you could have done it or not. And I yeah, don't know. Didn't you just say you actually saw her speak at something last year? <laughs> yeah. Were you like, this is my moment for life, life to imitate oh, art. That is like a whole saga in itself because I wound up meeting this woman I dated for almost a year because of the Monica story, because she was also a fan and we both went to hear Monica speak. I mean, we we're, we're exes now, but like we both were friends and we went to hear her speak. So it was kind of full circle. Oh my um, gosh. But I think you're totally right that people don't know and they don't have to know. And also you're not constrained the way you are when you're writing an essay, which I also write lots of very personal essays and there, you know, you have to be factual. I mean, yes, you can play with the language mm -hmm. and you can, you know, omit details or change someone's name, but you, you can't just make it up and call it an essay, but you can just make it up and call it a story. Even if you're using some parts that are true. And, and a lot of times what I've done when I'm writing an erotica story about something that really happened you know, I might change the order of things or I might change a few details because it, it fits the fiction, you know, mode better. And maybe I'll take those details and use them in a different story. Or maybe I'll take something that happened to me and, you know, have another character go through that same experience. So would you say like that most of the things you write about are things that have happened or it's sort of just a combination of fantasy and reality come together? It's a combination. The first 
few stories I wrote were definitely on the truer side. Um, and, and some of the ones that are closest to me personally, like that mean have the most meaning to me, I would say are true or based on true things, but because I've been doing this for so long, I mean, that was 18 years ago. I, I ran out of true stories. I mean, I have a lot of stories. I've had a lot of sexual adventures, but I haven't had that many, like enough to write about, you know, for 18 years, and I think I, <laughs> 60 anthologies worth. Yeah. I mean, I got bored of just my sticking to my life and I wanted mm-hmm. to try to write about people who weren't like me. So I've written gay male erotica. Oh, wow. Transgender erotica. And, um, actually, you know, I've written about boxing, which I don't know anything about boxing. That's- so I ha- think about like, what is sexy about boxing for this character? And so it's a really fun, sometimes challenging exercise to do that, to take something that you don't know about and is not your turn on. Mm-hmm. I imagine it also helps see things from other people's points of view to be even more accepting of other people's like kinks and fantasies. It- it definitely does. And it's something I also now teach erotica writing classes. And it's something I highly recommend. Erotica writing 101.com. I found yes. out. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I usually try to assign students to write about either a character who's a different gender or sexual orientation than their own, or who's just different from them in some major way. Like if you're really shy, I think it's a great exercise to write a better character who's the opposite, like mm-hmm. who loves talking to people and, you know, meeting strangers because it, it forces you out of your own experience. But you might find out that that outgoing character and you, the shy person, have a lot in common. You just have this one huge difference. Do you think, though, or how what is the reception for um, erotica that is uh, that you write that is not coming from your perspective? Because I think a lot about how in Hollywood, for example, we get frustrated that so many uh, women are written by men. And so I'm, and, and I, so I'm curious about um, if the reception for you when you're writing, you know, gay male erotica, if people are like, why is she doing this? Or is the erotica space much more accepting of that? Or do you use a pseudonym and nobody knows? Um, I have used a pseudonym and nobody knows, but usually that's either something uh, where it it was true and I just didn't want to chance anyone thinking it was me or or other reasons. Um, I haven't really had any negative reactions or people saying, oh, that's not accurate. Um, I, I think you can also now do research online. I mean, you can't, I mean, you're still ultimately making it up, but if you want to know what, say, a nudist resort is like, I, I haven't actually researched that. I haven't like extensively Googled that, even though I have set a story at a nudist resort. But I have read that nudist resort story in public and people have told me, oh, that's accurate. So, Wow. Do you think you've learned anything about yourself by picking like a topic that's not necessarily one of your turn on? Like, do you think people can learn about maybe fantasies that they're harboring or desires that they have by writing erotica? I mean, yes and no, because I think one of the stereotypes about erotica writers is that everything we write we want to do or is coming from a super personal place mm. and people don't say that about mystery writers or like Stephen oh, King <laughs> like, I want to kill everyone and <laughs> love killing I mean people just don't say it about other genres the way they do about sexuality and especially erotica and, hmm. and I think there's this default assumption that everyone who writes erotica is 
kind of living this wild, perverted, over-the-top sexual life. And maybe they are. And like, not to knock that, like, that's great if you are and that's what you want to do. But I don't think, A, you need to be like going to sex parties every night in order to write about sex parties. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, so, so I think sometimes like it might open up your mind to new ideas and it might unlock things for you that you do want to try. But I never want to say, oh, well, you know, you have to have done this to write about it because I think that's limiting. And I also think it's a little bit insulting because a lot of what makes erotica work is the imagination both mm-hmm. of the reader and the author. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's so interesting that you compared it to other fields and that no one questions like, you know, Stephen King or whatever, like the people who wrote Saw that they like want to kidnap people and like murder them and do, you know, all this horrible shit to them. But in the, you know, when you're writing erotica, it sounds like there's a lot of assumptions that people have like, oh, if you're writing this, it means you want to do all these things. So have you encountered any of this as an issue with people or potential partners who just kind of assume that you're down for everything or will consent mm. with whoever? I I have experienced that a little bit. I mean, by now, and I would say probably the past 10 years because I'm very out about writing about sex and I've written, I used to write a sex column for the village voice. Like most people that I would be meeting that might be dating me unless I met them online, um, sort of know about that. So, um, but, but I think like no matter what you write, but especially if you write erotica, there's always a person who's going to be different than what they put out on paper. Mm. So even if you are that type of like, super into anything or almost anything type of person, like you're still sometimes going to want to be at home in your sweatpants, like eating ice cream out of a carton. You know what I mean? And not like wanting not, a dick pic. Super <laughs> glamorous. Um, and, and I think that that's something I've also had to navigate. Like, I think like what's the line between me personally and my private life and then what I put on paper. And especially how do you last. navigate that? Like, how do you figure that out? Well, it's it's hard. I mean, it's especially hard now. I've been in a relationship for the last five and a half years. I don't write a lot of erotica based on my relationship. I've written like maybe two, one or two stories, but I do write a lot of essays about mm-hmm. my relationship, including my sex life. And it's always a challenge. Like, it's always a struggle to figure out okay, I'm a very public person and I'm a writer by nature and by profession. And my boyfriend is much more private. And so he's very supportive. He never has told me, don't write about me or don't write about this. But I know that it's not his favorite thing. Like, Do you show things to him first before you publish or does he just like... If it's about him, I will. Mm -hmm. I, I don't say, you know, can I publish this? But if he came to me and said look, this is very upsetting to me. This is too personal. This is something I don't want other people to know. I would take that into account and maybe I would try to publish it under a pseudonym. I don't know if you feel comfortable answering. I don't know if you both are monogamous, but I'm curious if if you are, or even if you're not, if writing about maybe some of these fantasies um, helps you feel more I don't know, energized in your own relationship and less likely to perhaps look elsewhere. Yeah. That's a great question. I mean, we are monogamous. We we have been the whole time we've been together. You know, will we be forever? I don't know. Um, for me, 
I, I think both writing erotica and just knowing that I could, if I wanted to, <laughs> gives me an outlet for for things that maybe I don't totally understand. Um, I mean, I think there's times when I've sat down and said, okay, I'm going to write about spanking, which is one of my favorite subjects. It's something I like to do in my personal life. And I've edited a bunch of books about it. Uh Um, So sometimes I'll say, okay, I'm going to write about this type of spanking. But sometimes I sit down and I don't know where a story is going to go. And it goes in a direction that might make me uncomfortable. I'm like, where did that come from? I, I don't necessarily have, like, I mean, this is an example. I wrote a story and uh, it was this, it's it's a kind of complicated setup, but this woman is filling in for her friend who's a professional submissive and she has this client who's much older and they're doing this daddy play. And that's not really something, I mean, that's not something I'm personally into, but I wound up writing about it and getting into it in the story. And then when I was done, you know, I had to kind of question myself, like, what does it mean that I wrote this? Does it mean that I'm you know, secretly into this, like deep down inside, does Uh it mean I just got into it as I, you know, for the purposes of the story. And I think those are challenges that a lot of writers, especially new ones face because our society still, even in 2017 is telling people and especially women, you know, there's some desires that are okay. And there's some that aren't. And I think when we start to put these down on paper and then put our name on it or a pseudonym on it and it gets out there in the world, it it kind of stresses people out because they're worried about the reaction of their family members, their partners, their coworkers, people in their town. Uh I mean, I know people who will not even, you know, they can't like anything that has to do with erotica or sex on Facebook under their real name because people will judge them for it. That's so that's sad. So that makes me sucks. so sad. I have a question about the type of erotica that you write and erotica in general. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, would you say that you write erotica for women? It's a funny question. I I wouldn't say that, um, even though, you know, this series I now edit is called Best Women's Erotica of mm-hmm. the Year. But only because I have, I don't know the exact breakdown of my readers, but I know the people who come to my readings, the people who... Um, you know, follow me online and get my newsletter, I would say are about half and half. Hmm. And I, I had a couple of people say when I was organizing readings for Best Women's Erotica, uh, I believe they were all cis men. Like they emailed me and said, is it okay if I come to this event or is it only for women? And I, I felt Aww. badly because I, I guess I didn't convey strongly enough that it was open to everyone. And, you know, we did readings at a bunch of bookstores and they were mixed. Well, I think that's still great that like cis men are asking if to take up space. I think that's always good. <laughs> well, I think it's been a stereotype that erotica or like written erotica is for women. I mean, uh, this reminds me and just of like, like Fabio on the front of like a, you know, erotica thing. A it's, bodice ripper. Yeah, something like that. And so perhaps it is like a truth just because of what maybe certain genders of people are attracted to. Hmm. But why do you think erotica is mostly like catered to or most people think it's for women? I mean, I think part of it is trends in book buying. Like every statistic I've ever read about books generally is that says that women are the, make up the majority of people buying books. And hmm. I don't know about reading books, but so and and certainly if that's true for romance. Um, 
I don't have specific numbers or statistics on erotica, but I know that even the books I've edited that are marketed as like for women, which is really just a marketing tactic, men read them and enjoy them. And I think, especially if they're straight or bi men or, you know, men who are attracted to women, um, they get insights into how women think from erotica. I mean, even though it's fictional, it's not a how to, I think it helps open their minds to some of the things that might turn women on that maybe, you know, even if they're with a woman, not that she would necessarily share all those turn ons, but, you know, maybe those things don't always come up in their personal conversations with their partners and they are learning or at least, you know, just getting their minds expanded by reading erotica. No, for sure. I can see how, you know, someone reading a story can be like, oh, in this story I was reading, this was happening. What do you think about that? partner i have mixed feelings about it too though because there are studies out there that do show you know gender differences in the type of porn that men versus women watch really yeah and i'll put it in the really surprised i'll put it in the link below but it often talks about like that in general women i think people had a you know a false belief before that women don't watch or like porn as much as men but that's not the case it's just that the type of porn So as you might expect, the type of porn that women seem to enjoy or watch more has some sort of a storyline or a plot happening in it. That's not to say that there aren't women out there who don't like... I feel very unwomanly right now. (laughs) and straight fucking because there are women, uh, those of us who like that also. And maybe it's, you know, maybe this is just a cultural thing, but there are studies that have talked a little bit about that. So I wonder how that goes across into the erotica too. Rachel, would you say that there could be considered like salient differences between erotica destined for reader for being read by women versus men or not really? I don't I, I don't feel like I can say that. I mean, not in my experience. Yeah, I, um, I can see that. too. I mean, I haven't read a ton, but I really can see. I guess it's because in reading so much is left to the imagination and in visual porn it's not it's like this is the shot you're getting and you can very much feel the male gaze sometimes perhaps and when you're reading yes you know someone is wielding the words and has penned them in a certain way but I, I it does require you to to do your own analysis and like designation of like what is the camera angle quote unquote for your I think erotica what you said is important though that even if it says women's best erotica or whatever that if you're into it if you like it read it and check it out and see if it's something for you, no matter what your gender or your orientation, like oh, duh. you might like it. Duh. Um, there's a great book. Um, it might be out of print. I'm not sure, but it's called switch hitters. And it was, I, I believe, I, I, I think a lot of my books are sort of MIA from many moves, which I hate. I wish I, I love having like my books just in mm. front of me and I can grab them all. But Oh, actually, I see it right now. Um, Would you you read us some? Yeah. Hitters. This is from, I think it came out before. Yes, I will. Or I'll I'll give you a little. Tease us and our readers. Listeners. Gay men writing lesbian erotica and lesbians writing gay male erotica. And I think that was just such a cool idea because I think it, it pushes all those stereotypes of who can write what and, you know, who knows about what, you know, it, it, it makes you rethink them. And because I think that, you know, 
a lot of people start out like me writing about characters who are similar to them. And that's fine. Like you could build a whole erotic career, erotica career by writing about people who are like you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think something I, why I try to push my students to get out of that a little is just to show them that it's possible to write about characters who are different from you and do them justice, like not just fetishize them Mm -hmm. or um, make them seem too cartoonish or, or something like that. Um, You know, I think that you can give them humanity and make them realistic, even if you've never lived as that type of person just the way anyone would write any kind of fiction like not every character you write is going to be an exact replica of you I mean maybe it maybe they are but eventually probably they're going to interact with someone else who's different and I think that's what makes it it interesting yeah, for sure. I'm curious about. Well, uh, before your... we get there, I want to hear a little teaser from the switch oh, right. hitters. Duh, yeah. Okay. So I really haven't pulled this out in so long, and it was published in 1996. Okay. Which is here I graduated from college. Um, so okay, I just turned to a page by a writer I've read before, but I don't know if I I haven't read this in a long time. So page I'm 69. Read just a little I hope it's just <laughs> from Posing by Blake C. Aaron. Azizi stood naked in front of them, his blue-black skin glistening. He held a drape of cloth, I mean, sorry, he held a drape in front of his crotch and balanced his weight on the ball of his right foot. It took everything he had to keep his body from twitching against his will. The bright lights made circles of heat along the front of his body. A vague dampness formed under his arm and began to trickle slowly down his left side. He willed his mind to think of cool breezes. Through the handful of his dreads that obscured the right side of his face, Azizi surveyed the collection of artists scratching away at their easels. The only other black person in the room was a huge, honey-colored man with a wool cap on his head and a faint hint of a mustache. He sat at the back of the studio, wearing loose, cocky overalls. His collarbone stood out prominently. So did the muscles of his big arms. Okay, I'm sure something... You know, oh my goodness. My heart is like beating faster <laughs> listening to it. There's an unusual dampness maybe under Azizi's armpits, but somewhere else Well, too. you could definitely tell it's 1996 because the overalls, but it's still, <laughs> still hot. I, you know, I've usually made the guidelines for this Best Women's Erotica of the Year series. The protagonists have to be women. Um, and I've been thinking about it more. And I, I right now I'm editing volume four which won't be out till like december 2018 but if i get to edit more you know i've been thinking about playing with this concept of what is best women's erotica you know it's in the way it's been defined by the publisher and the two editors before me is erotica by women Mm -hmm. which i also welcome transgender women of course and genderqueer people and non-binary people but um as authors but, you know, if you're a woman who's writing male-male erotica, I think that is also something that could fit in the series. And also that women or men want to read, you know, like, I, I mean, I think my job as an anthology editor is to give variety to readers. Like, I don't expect every reader to love every story equally. I like I like to hear, like, some people have a favorite that is, and some people hate that story and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Do you find though that there's like 
one erotica topic that's just like a hot, hot topic. I mean, no pun intended, but it's like just one of the hottest topics that it's like um, everyone loves. People like to write about BDSM. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty obvious. Fifty Shades. Submissive yeah. women. I get a lot of sto- like I get so many more stories generally about submissive women than I do about dominant women. Um, well that's also based in research on visual not visual porn but in fantasies too that one of the top most fantasies for quote-unquote women is forced fantasies and i totally understand that and i also think it's a little bit easier maybe to write from the perspective of a submissive because things are happening to that person they're kind of maybe they're being ordered around or something is being done to them Mm -hmm. i think it's for many people, easier to get into that mindset and to write about it than it is to write a top or a dominant without making them sound too sadistic. Like, you know, I mean, sadistic in a good way. Yes. But, you know, without making them sound cruel, because you have to balance that, you know, dominant perspective with something tempering hmm. it, you know with, with making it clear that you know they also want to submit yeah to- i'm curious if i've ever read anything any erotica from the perspective of you a know female the dom- dominant not necessarily female but even just from the dominant yeah i mean it's i edited a couple of anthologies that are from dominant uh women's perspective she's on top uh please ma'am and Ooh. yes ma'am and as a writer and as an editor, I think it's more challenging to go from that perspective. I think it just comes more naturally to people to write about the submissive, even though, you know, the dominant might be the one, you know, giving the spanking or ordering someone around. It can be a hard perspective to capture and really do it justice and not make them seem just like a terrible person. You know? But I also think like Simone was kind of saying that there is this, uh, there's limiting thing. If you label it as like erotica for women or whatever, like I was saying, Oh, you know, the, some studies show that women like this kind of porn better and that people who maybe see erotica for women or hear like this is for women and they don't resonate with how it's written or the topics might feel, um, Left, left out, out or yeah or feel kind of shameful or something of their desires and so I would hope that you know it wouldn't do that and that we could continue to open up the types of things being written about because obviously everyone likes something different regardless of gender no I definitely am aware of that and I also am aware of the limits of you know I have like a word count in my book so I can only include you know x amount of stories so what I try to do is make each volume especially in this series different from the last one so that you know I'm giving space to more writers and just more perspectives because whether you're only reading one of them or you've read all of them like I want readers to be entertained and maybe learn something I, I don't think like learning something is the primary motivation. I think first is to entertain and arouse, but if it also gives them a perspective on what life and sex and desire are like for someone, you know, that they've never thought about before, I think that's great. There, there's a story that is in uh, volume two of Best Women's Erotica of the Year by Kate Sebastian called On the Calendar. And it's set in the Philippines and it's about, a woman who's who's starting to date there and she's 32 and she's never had a boyfriend 
And while it's fiction, it does give insight into this very specific kind of culture mm-hmm. that's different from, you know, the American culture that I grew up with. So I think that's something I really want the series to keep doing because it, it kind of makes you think about all the types of people's whose sex lives, you know, we might not hear about all the time or For sure. any of them. I like have one like academic slash intellectual question, one like uh, silly question. I'm trying to figure out which one to go for first. Simone loves the first one. Questions. The first one is like the concept of like intersectional erotica. But really, I want to know if when you're reading all of these stories as an editor, like if sometimes you just have to take a break because you're like so turned on. I think like that that was the scholarly question. No, that's the silly question. <laughs> oh. OK, well, you know, it's funny. I feel like I it's more for me. It's maybe because I've been doing this for so long. Oh, no, don't say you've become numb to it. Not numb to it. No, but it's like an intellectual turn on. Does that make sense? Like, like I'm a, a brain or like, like a soul the, Oh my boner. God, this person is a good writer versus. Like, my, you know, like I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I read that. And I want it in my book. But I, I and I might get turned on, but not. I don't get turned on to the point where I'm like, OK, I have to stop and masturbate. I might get a little <laughs> aroused, but I think just because I go into work mode, I mean, probably the biggest. You're like, oh, look at that hyphen. The biggest, <laughs> the biggest inhibitor to my like sex life is like I just like I'm too in my head and I'm too like workaholic. So I feel like those clash, you know, me like just enjoying it as a reader. And then my my editor brain is like, oh, fix this you know, period or this comma or whatever. So, um, but so sometimes I might get, I'm, I can appreciate it the second time I read it, you know, when I'm not in, when you're like, not in like thinking editor mode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what was your other question? So, so as both a writer and an editor, I'm thinking about, maybe the responsibility you feel because you were talking about the variety of voices that you want to include in your in your anthologies. I was going to say analogies in your anthologies. And so I'm curious about uh, if you do feel a sense of responsibility to represent voices and writers and authors and stories and perspectives and sexualities and kinks and fantasies that are really unrepresented. I do. And it's a very big challenge because there's a lot of things I want to balance in a book, both for the sake of the readers uh, who I want to not be bored and I want to enjoy it. And, you know, my own politics um, and just also supporting authors. Um, I, in the past, before I was the editor, people could be published in the series multiple times and I benefited from that. I was published in, four or five volumes of Best Women's Erotica before I started editing it. Um, But I made a new rule when I started that each volume would have different authors because I wanted to publish as many writers as possible. So I Mm. figured right now I'm working on the fourth one that I've edited. But if if I got the chance to edit 10 of them, that would be at least 200 writers that I could publish. That's incredible. And I really also try to put the call for submissions out as far and wide as possible. I mean, I, it, it's circulated within the erotica writing community online, but I try to tell people, okay, if you know someone who has a great story or maybe they write, you know, another kind of fiction, or maybe they write memoir, or maybe they write just, you know, I don't know, science writing, but 
they might have a story for this, like send it to them because As the spermatozoa I penetrated the ovum. <laughs> <laughs> too. And, you know, I got started when I was in law school. I wasn't Mm -hmm. setting out to do this. I was in a totally different, you know, on a totally different career path. So I want to encourage women um, who, whether or not they have experience writing erotica to to try it if they're curious, you know, and just see what happens. And also my biggest piece of advice would be like, don't get discouraged because let's say for these books, I might get 200 or 300 submissions. I can only take 25 probably at the most. So just by the numbers, even if all those stories were amazing and I love them, I literally cannot publish them all in the book because my publisher would be like, this is way too long. This book is like, you know, weighing 10 pounds. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, and also, and I just think that also goes to the point that erotica is so subjective. You know, you might write what I think is a beautiful, touching, sexy story, Someone else might read it and think like, that's awful. I didn't yeah. feel anything. I don't understand the characters. And that's okay. Like both of those perspectives are okay. And I've had to learn as a writer, you can't control what other people are going to think of your mm-hmm. work. You just, mm-hmm. you can't like, you can do your best job and, you know, get edited and take direction and tweak it. But once you've made peace with that, you're happy with the piece of writing, like you have to put it out in the world if you're going to and sort of then say goodbye to it and like let other people grapple with it or mm-hmm. you know and appreciate it on their own terms well we've talked a lot about some of the the positives that people can get from writing erotica or reading erotica i often actually with sex therapy clients will tell people to write some of their own quote-unquote erotica or fantasies mm-hmm. to discover parts of themselves do you have any advice for even if they don't want to publish it, but for how people can kind of get started writing some of that content? I think the biggest thing is carving out, you know, whether you want to call it like a room of one's own, um, mm. you know, per Virginia Woolf, or just some space where no one else is going to see what you're writing and you don't feel obligated to show it to them. And I would not tell your partner if you have one, like the day you start writing. Um, even, I mean, you could, if you're really excited about it, but I think that the minute you start talking about it while you're in the writing process, it can change the writing process. Like you might be so excited about, you know, this story you're writing about someone who has sex on an airplane, let's just say, and then you start talking to whoever, your friend, your partner, um, you know, barista at the coffee shop. And Mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, well, that would never work because blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I think we underestimate how fragile that writing process is. Um, so I would say kind of keep it a little bit under wraps. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, yeah, and it can just be for you, you know, something that's exciting and a good outlet for you. You don't always have to share it with someone unless you want to. Yeah, yeah and also you don't know what it's going to turn into. You know, you might think you're writing a short story and then it turns into a novel. Or you might think you're writing... Fifty Shades of Grey started off as... Twilight fan, fan fiction, fiction published as episodes online, you know, could be anything. Yeah. I have a question, though, like, out of curiosity, um, as an editor, you're reading so many different stories. Is there anything that you like haven't yet seen that you wish you were getting? That's a really good question. Um, of course, like now that you asked me on the spot, I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> One thing that I want to see more of it. Well, I've, I think I t- have turned to erotica or I know people who have turned to erotica because the videos out there 
don't have enough content or aren't done well, but it's things like aliens and ghosts and mm. stuff like that. There's so... Well, don't I, laugh! I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not laughing at that fantasy. I'm just... <laughs> it's a good point. Like, I, that, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking more, like, more trans-inclusive erotica. Oh, or, well, that too. <laughs> trans-inclusive alien ghost porn. There we go. There's a great book called Take Me There that Tristan Taramino edited. I think the the um, subtitle is trans and genderqueer erotica, and that might be reversed. That's where my boxing story is. Um, but that has some really amazing stories um, about trans and genderqueer characters. Polly Frost has a great book uh, of stories called Deep Inside that speaks to the alien and ghosts and all kinds of kind of sci-fi-esque Writing that stories. down. And it's, I think this is why I love editing erotica and reading erotica. I am not a science fiction person in general. I've, I've not read any sci-fi novels that I can think of. Um, like, it's just not my thing because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more in this world. Like, my brain, you know, wants it to be in a world that I recognize. But that book, Deep Inside, by Polly Frost, I remember loving the stories because even though they were, you know, aliens and, you know, otherworldly creatures, a lot of them, I got sucked in. Like, I was right there with them and I wanted to know what happened. Is that how the aliens do it? They just suck you into them? (laughs) Some people like that. There's nothing. What is it? Vorism? Being like eaten? Vor- oh, I was thinking. I was vor- just thinking, like maybe how aliens have sex is they just have like a. I don't know. I was just thinking, <laughs> I, you know, whatever. Dinosaur erotica. There is. There's like there's whole- dinosaur erotica. Like, is it dinosaur on dinosaur action or uh, dinosaur on human or human I mean, on dinosaur? Dinosaur on human. It's a whole thing. Like it's its own world, and I am. Wow. I barely know anything about. I guess it. like with a triceratops, you could fuck all three horns separately. <laughs> One in every hole. But <laughs> it's like some triceratops and I'm back in third grade or whenever we learned about dinosaurs. So it kind of like messes with my mind. That people, <laughs> that's like my primary source of information about dinosaurs when I was in elementary yeah, school. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And for some people, it's going to be erotica. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to wrap it up because uh, we're running out of time. But we want to play a little game where we're going to try to write erotica together, where we're each going to say a word and maybe come up with a sentence or two. Awesome. Are you game? Wait, are, like literally the three of us are each going to say a word and keep going till we make a sentence? Yes. yes. OK, awesome. It can be a run on sentence and it's going to be very, very sexy listeners. So get ready for your second pair of panties. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to go first, and then Simone, and then Rachel. Oh, okay. Is that okay? It's, so we'll go Nicoletta, Simone, Rachel, and just try and to go keep around going. and see how awkward it can get. Okay, are we're we ready? sexy. He looked at her clitoris. Longingly. And? Oh, and decided... To begin licking along her lips. That was two letters. Damn it. (laughs) I was so into it. She smiled seductively while the 
wetness flowed. Done. I, <laughs> I think that's pretty <laughs> good. Yes. Please interrupt. So I was like, I see. I wanted two words because I was going to say "wall the dinosaur." Oh! <laughs> you should have cheated like, like Nicoletta did. Know, I'm going for that vibe. Oh. Well, I think Simone and I are going to have to write some dinosaur erotica and just to see to if you. we can, you know, do it and make it sexy and and find, you know, just just because. Because like, why not? I do. I have so seen pterodactyl porn. I have seen pterodactyl porn. Really? Yeah. Pterod- have you seen pterodactyl porn online? Wow, you have like a super specific dinosaur. Well, pterodactyl <laughs> porn is fully real. I first saw it in high school. It's I've only seen one scene of pterodactyl porn, but it's you a act woman. Like you're a connoisseur who's like a female. She's a female human, solid human, and she is um like squatting over a dick, and the dick belongs to a pterodactyl. <laughs> and then there's two pterodactyls standing on either side, and like she's sucking one of their dicks and is like jacking the other pterodactyl off. And they have wings, and they're like making noises, and their beaks move. It's very exciting. Wait, I have a question. Are they? Are wait? Are we talking about like are these actors? Are these yeah, they're real? actors in pterodactyl. Okay. No, they're real pterodactyls. Yeah, they're real pterodactyls. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I mean, are the penises? Do they look human? Yeah, no, it's human look, penises. It's human penises. Dicks to make them look like pterodactyl penises. Uh, honestly, I haven't watched. I hadn't. I did not look that closely to see if they had added any prosthetics to the penis. But there are definitely wings and beaks. I'll give you that. One of the alien ones I saw one time. They just. It looked like they had just connected a bunch of like weird um, dildos together. And that was the penis of the alien. So it like didn't seem very functional, but it was like this man in like a really bad costume, like standing far away, trying to work this like 10 foot long, I don't know, whatever alien dick. <laughs> I guess all See, of this. That's why I think erotica, like in writing, there's things you can do in film that you can't do in writing, but there's also things you can do in writing that you can't necessarily do in film. Unless you have like I mean, a bajillion dollar budget, which most porn does not have. Yeah, like if the producers of Alien made a porn, it would be amazing. Yeah, I just think, you know, like the well, the, the, the cost of entry to writing erotica is a lot lower than it is to making a film. Yeah. So you have more free reign to explore certain things realistic, realistically as or as realistic as pterodactyl porn can be. Well, on the note of pterodactyl, dinosaur, and um, alien porn, we have to finish up for today. But Rachel, it was so amazing having you. Um, if people would like to follow you or get a hold of you or, or send you stories, listeners, if you're writing, if you want to write, how can they um, get a hold of you? They can find me personally at rachelkramerbethel.com and at Raquelita on Twitter. And they can go to bweoftheyear.com for more on the Best Women's Erotic of the Year series. Mm-hmm. And also follow us at BWE of the Year on Twitter. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Well, Rachel, it was so fun getting to talk to you. I'm so happy that you reached out to us. If any of our other listeners think that they'd love to come on the podcast to talk to us or have any people in mind that you think we should talk to or specific questions or topics you want covered, please, please let us know. You can reach out to us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at at sluts scholars um, and at gmail at sluts and scholars at gmail.com so thank you so much for joining in this week make sure to subscribe and review um, and we will see you next time pterodactyl that's the noise they make ah!